Our sponsor today, Manscaped, has you covered to keep the hair looking nice and trimmed and feeling fully supported. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Don't be cruel to your family jewels. The premium lawnmower 3.0 is waterproof, includes an LED light, and is made with advanced skin-safe technology, which reduces nicks and cuts on your delicates. You get the trimmer inside their Perfect Package 3.0, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver Deodorant and the Crop Reviver Toning Spray, both super practical, and they smell great too. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code THEATHLETIC20. Back here with another Metrospective, Pete McCarthy with, now I can introduce him as Mr. Tim Britton. I feel like I was Mr. before. Oh. I think it works that way. I guess I guess that's true. <laughs> but well, you're married, so that's that's new. Yeah, yeah, that is something that has ha- that happened in the last uh, last week and a half. Uh, you know, I chose to get married at a very benign time in the Mets season. It was very <laughs> very easy to step away and and allow you and Rustin Dodd to, to take over for me and carry the carry the load during uh, the trade deadline and the ownership sale and. Uh, a hot microphone with Brody Van Wagen in, and Tom Seaver passing, uh, and all that, all all the stuff that comes with covering the New York Mets. Well, Rustin did a great job, and uh, congratulations to you, Tim. I mean, how was it? All the the bells and whistles. Did it feel like a wedding? Uh, you know, just real quick, and then we'll get into the Mets. All the bells and whistles were uh, thirteen people in my brother's backyard. <laughs> uh, we had. Uh, you know, so we had my, my nieces as flower girls. They brought their stuffed animals, which was very sweet. Uh, stuffed animals that, I should point out, we had given them. Uh, so we, we had, their favorite stuffed animals are the ones we've given them. So that, that shows us as uh, people of class, I think. Uh, and uh, it was, you know, we had perfect weather outside uh, on that Sunday. And then we went down to the beach and had perfect weather for a week. Uh, so it was, it was really nice. I, well, outstanding. Well, at least you had the weather on your side with everything. Yeah, else. we even got a rainbow the night before, which uh, which seemed like a good omen. That is that is there could be worse omens than uh, than a rainbow. That much uh, that much is for sure. And uh, a rainbow, you can describe Michael Conforto's trajectory uh, last night, trying to make that catch out in right field and and maybe saving the Mets' season uh, against the Baltimore Orioles. As I try to force in this transition to the Mets, but uh, I, I, we're looking now. We've talked about Conforto in the past, and I've said, you know, when is he going to become Christian Yelich? And right now, he's more Christian Yelich than Christian Yelich. The big defensive play, he's hitting over three forty. He's doing everything for this team right now. He's finally blossomed into the star Mets fans have been waiting for. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we've talked about this for a while. There, there's kind of the really good player that Michael Conforto has been really since, you know, the 2017 season, maybe even midway through 2016 when he kind of started putting it back together. Uh, and then there's the guy that, that fans had in their mind, kind of what they thought he was going to grow into a little bit more quickly, which is a guy who's a perennial all-star, a guy who maybe gets some MVP votes uh, down the ballot, a guy who maybe competes for an, an MVP award during a really good season, the kind of guy that Yelich became when he went to Milwaukee uh, and you know, Yelich about the same age. He was it was his age twenty six season when he just kind of exploded with the Brewers in twenty eighteen. Uh, Conforto is his, 
his age 27 season. Uh, they look pretty similar as players before these breakthroughs. You know, it's it's 44 games. It's not uh, it's not a full 162 game season, but he, he would be on pace to have a six win season uh, in terms of WAR, and that's with WAR looking pretty poorly at his defense, uh, which he showed on Wednesday night is not necessarily always a negative. I think he's actually played pretty well there since the first couple weeks of the season, especially with his arm. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing that that pure hitting approach, that 300 hitter that that Keith Hernandez thought he would be the minute he saw his swing uh, in the major leagues. Uh, you're seeing, you know, the, the power is maybe not 40 home run power, but uh, I haven't done the math on what, what eight homers in 44 games equ- is equivalent to. It's close to 30. Uh, you know, it, it's the average plus the power that we've been waiting for. So it's kind of all coming together for him uh, during this, this abbreviated season. And reading your piece, and, and highly recommend that to everybody, he talked about using the entire field after becoming such a pole-centric hitter in 2019. And this is what I've been screaming about, and I'm sure a lot of Mets fans have been screaming about. He has the power to hit it out to left center field. And you know we see that consistently, but he hits for a higher average when he's able to spray it across the field. Uh, and this is exactly what people have been dying to see from Michael Conforto. It, it took a circuitous route to get here. Yeah, when I, when I talked to him back in spring training, I mean, you know, back before everything shut down in in February, uh, we talked about this exact thing. Like, what was the next thing to do for him? What would get him to where he wanted to be? Uh, and it was, you know, he felt good in 2019 about how he responded to pitches on the inside part of the plate. Uh, he'd always been worked outside throughout his career, uh, but now he was able to react inside and pull pitches on the inside part of the plate with power, uh, you know, pull them out of the ballpark for home runs. That was something that he'd worked with Chili Davis on. But he felt like he lost his his command of the outside part of the plate uh, and got a little too, too pull happy. You get pull happy on those those soft pitches away. You roll over mm-hmm. a lot of them and you, gr- you get ground balls to second base and into the shift. Uh, and so this year, you know, part, part of the process was seeing what Pete Alonso did last year and seeing, you know, Pete's not trying to hit a home run to left field. Pete's just trying to hit the crap out of the ball. Uh, and because he's got so much power, because the ball was flying a little farther in 2019, uh, he got a lot of home runs out of it. So Conforto felt, you know, I don't have to try to hit home runs. I don't have to try to hit the ball as far as I can. If I put good wood on the ball, it's going to go far enough. And I've got kind of that natural power, that natural grace to the swing that's going to play well, uh, you know, without trying to, to do too much at the plate. And we're seeing that this year. You know, his his spray chart is, is beautiful. It's almost one-third to left, one-third to center, one-third to right. Uh, he's hitting the ball uh, as hard as he ever has. So it's 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 really all coming together, and this is you know this is a guy who, I, you know, I don't think he's going to compete for an MVP award this year. Not the way guys like Fernando Tatis Jr. are playing. Uh, but you know, if you're looking in the National League right now, this is a top five offensive player so far this season. Uh, you know, right alongside Dom Smith, by the way. Uh, mm. So that that's the kind of guy that the Mets Mets fans have been waiting for, and and here he is uh, as the anchor of your offense just in time for Conforto to become a free agent after <laughs> next season. Uh, so that becomes something to to keep uh, in the back of your mind as, uh, as we look forward. We don't have to get into all that right here, right now. You did mention Pete Alonso as part of your answer there. And Alonso, 
finally getting things going a little bit here along with Jeff McNeil. I mean, they're hitting six and seven in the lineup. I don't think anybody expected that that would be the case, uh, even in the worst case scenarios for this Mets team. Uh, but as you met, Dom Smith's been terrific and Michael Conforto has earned his spot. Now, we talked a little bit with Rustin Dodd when the Mets went out and got Todd Frazier that, you know, they wanted his attitude as much as anything else. And coincidentally or not, but they brought in Todd Frazier and seemingly have unlocked Alonzo and McNeil ever since. Well, it's it's Todd Frazier's bat, right, that, that Alonzo <laughs> used that, that, that's literally doing uh, the damage, you know. Uh, it, it is fascinating. You look at that lineup last night, and you see the six, seven, and eight hitters all went yard. Uh, and it is—it's Alonzo McNeil and, and Andres Jimenez, uh, and what that does for a lineup. We thought this Mets lineup would be would be deep coming into the year. Uh, we thought Yuan Cespedes would be a part of that. Uh, we certainly didn't think it would be with Alonzo and McNeil down in the, the bottom half of the order. Uh, but you know, I think look, Alonzo has struggled a bit this year. McNeil has had struggled up until recently, uh, but. I think in years past, these guys would not be hitting this low in a Mets lineup, uh, regardless of how they were doing, because of, of uh, you know, you wouldn't have enough guys to hit in the top half. Uh, but mm. they've, they've got that depth. Uh, and now when you see them come along also, you, you see what the Mets have done in the month of September offensively. And you see how they can wear down an opposing pitcher. Like early in that game last night, uh, it didn't, you know, it seemed like Lopez was going through them pretty easily. And then you look up at the end, you're like, oh, he went four and two thirds and gave up five runs. Uh, they, you know, they got to him eventually. There, there's a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of great starting pitching out there. There's not a lot of guys who you feel confident will shut down this lineup two and three times through it. Uh, and the Mets are going to take advantage of that. And they're going to need to take advantage of that because of the way their own starting pitching has performed uh, this year. Yeah, it's been brutal behind Jacob deGrom, obviously. And I suppose, you know, just going back to the trade deadline, Tim, and you're always great at seeing the big picture with this team and where this franchise is. Uh, what did you make of the Mets making themselves out to be buyers and, and bringing in Frazier and Miguel Castro and also not really supplementing the rotation even as they considered themselves a buyer? You know, it was it was kind of what I expected them to do. You know, Frazier and, and Chirinos are kind of the small moves around the margin of a team to improve the bench. We, we talked early in the season about how, how good the Mets bench looked. That's where the loss of Cespedes hurt them a bit. You know, there were some games you looked at that bench and it was Luis Guillorme was was going to be your, your number one pinch hitter. Uh, and then beyond that, you didn't have a lot of good options for a while. Now with Jake Marisnik back with Chirinos and Frazier there, you, you feel a little bit better about, about your B squad. Uh, especially against left-handed pitchers for the Mets. The, the the move that was interesting to me was the the Kevin Smith for Miguel Castro trade, which I think I think it's fair value when you're looking at it. Castro's a guy with a year and a half of team control. He's been in the majors for a while, even though he's only 25. And Smith is, you know, you project him to maybe be a back-end starting pitcher, uh, minor league pitcher of the year last year for the Mets uh, in the organization, but hadn't pitched above double-A and, and, you know, wasn't really in consideration, I think, for getting... Uh, a start this year, even as the Mets went pretty deep into their system. But my my, my issue with it uh, is just it's tough to trade guys like Kevin Smith when you've already traded Justin Dunn, when you've already traded Anthony Kay, because uh, those are the guys, you know, when you're talking about filling out this rotation moving forward, those were the guys that you would have thought could have been a part. You know, if, if Dunn or Kay is, is in this organization, they're in the starting rotation right now based mm -hmm. off of what's happened this year. 
and you know, as you're projecting going forward and losing Stroman uh, in free agency this year, this winter probably with Waka and Porcello hitting free agency, and I'm not sure if you want to bring either of them back. Porcello's actually got a really good FIP. I don't know how much to read into that. Uh, you know, and, and Syndergaard out for a stretch next year. Like you, you've got holes in that rotation, uh, and they don't have anyone in the system to really plug into them. So I, I I do think that a lot of the impetus for that trade was the move of Seth Lugo to the rotation that, you know, Castro isn't there just to replace like Dylan Batances and, and Justin Wilson who are hitting free agency this winter. Uh, it's also to replace Lugo because the plan is now for Lugo to be in the rotation next year. You're going to need someone to supplement uh, Diaz and Familia at the end of the game, uh, especially because you don't really know what you have uh, with, with those guys on a day to day basis. So I get I get why they were trying to make that trade. I think that trade in a vacuum is fine, but I think it's tough when you consistently trade these upper-level pitching prospects, even if the ceiling on them isn't that high, uh, because they're really important to have as depth guys. And one of the reasons the Mets don't have depth this year is because they've dealt them in the past. Yeah, and I suppose it's almost easy to take the starting pitching for granted if you're the Mets with what has happened in recent years where they've been so loaded at that position. But now you start to look at the minor leagues and you see it at the major league level. The cupboard is very much bare. Uh, They have used all of their chips and thrown them in as far as the rotation goes. And it has still been a big problem that they're going to have to try to sort out a bit here. Because I don't think you can just straight up out hit it uh, with the Mets. 16 games to play, two games back. You look at this home stretch. They have a six-game trip at Toronto and Philadelphia coming up. They get the Braves, the Rays, and then the struggling Nationals to close out the season. But these next two weeks, they they have some really tough opponents that they're going to have to try to fight their way through and make up ground. Well, yeah, I I think really the most interesting thing happening in the National League playoff picture in the next week is is this Phillies-Marlins series coming up. You know, it's a seven-game series over five days, and the Marlins are coming off a game in which they gave up 29 runs. You know, there's a reason Jordan Yamamoto was left in there to give up 13 runs. It's because they got seven games the next five days against the same team. Uh, So one of the interesting things in trying to handicap this whole playoff scenario, you say, yeah, the Mets are are two behind Miami for what would be the eighth seed. You know, you've got uh, Milwaukee in between them and that spot. You've got Colorado between them. The the Phillies, Marlins, Cardinals, and even the Brewers to an extent just haven't played as many games as everyone else. So the, the Phillies and Marlins, I think they've both got four double headers between now and the end of the season. The Cardinals have five, I think, starting on Thursday. Uh, so... It's tough to figure out whether that how much of an advantage that is for the Mets that they have a normal schedule the rest of the way. They don't have to worry about all of this stuff that they did have to worry about last week. So how, I don't know how much of an advantage that is, but I think it is an advantage. And when you're looking at the NL, it's a little easier. You know, in the AL, you're thinking you've got eight pretty strongly defined playoff teams, and you know you feel better about chasing the eighth seed Marlins than about the eighth seed Yankees, even if the records are similar. Um, so there's definitely opportunity there, but the Mets will have to play better. They can't just rely on all of these teams falling back to the pack, uh, and, you know, sneaking into the playoffs at like 28 and 32. They're going to have to go like 10 and six, at least over that stretch, probably 11 and five, uh, to, to really feel good about a, a playoff chance. Well, you know, there'll be chaos. That's going to be part of it. It's been part of this entire, uh, 2020 season year, however you want to put it. And uh, more to come baseball-wise in these uh, this final stretch. Good to have you back, Tim. Good to be back, Pete. Adios.